All right, welcome to episode 23 of the Take One Security Podcast. Going to start with the news. So Juniper operating system has been uh, backdoored. And uh, you could actually find the issue with diff, which uh, HDMI posted a uh, tweet about. Um, the signs are currently pointing to NSA. That's pretty tentative. Uh, I'm not sure everyone actually knows uh, who put it in there, but um, looks like there's some exploit evidence from NSA and uh, the UK counterpart to NSA. Pretty, uh, pretty nasty stuff. Uh, you basically just uh, connect in a certain way. Actually, you just connect, I think, fairly normally, but the backup um, password or the backdoor password is a, is a string, which interestingly enough, if you do the analysis on, it looks like uh, just like some debug code or uh, it looks very nondescript, so it's pretty hard to find if you're looking for it in the code. But uh, it, it definitely gives you a backdoor into the device, which is uh, pretty scary. Remote code execution on FireEye appliances. Um, that's not good. Another example of security um, software and hardware and basically security systems um, adding surface area that you can be attacked on. Um, one thing that this reminds me of is uh, uh, issues with uh, WinPCAP, where if you run them as root and uh, you catch certain things on the network, <clears throat> it can actually compromise your system that you're listening with, which is why you're not supposed to run that kind of stuff as root. But it's interesting where you can have a system add security and then be less secure. But uh, all right, next story, um, Hyatt was hacked, uh, more malware on the uh, point of sale device. Uh, we had the FAA put out a requirement, um, I think in December, somewhere around there, that um, all drones need to be registered with the FAA. And uh, within the first two days, there were about 45,000 registrations. Um, industry is moving towards password-free logins. Um, Really cool stuff. So Google, I think, put out a couple invites to um, to turn on the system, <clears throat> and Yahoo is doing something similar. But uh, it, it's interesting. It's still single factor. So two factor has been available for a long time, where you basically put in your username, <clears throat> which is identification, put in your password, which is authentication, then you have a, your second factor, right? Well. This is basically removing the password as your authentication and instead sending a uh, code to your device uh, that you own. Now, <clears throat> it's not quite a swap one for one for single factor. Um, <clears throat> if that were the case, um, you would basically not have to authenticate to your device. So the fact that you have to authenticate to your device, hopefully, with like a, a, a passcode or a PIN or, you know, with a fingerprint, something like that, 
uh, you're getting a little bit better than a single factor. And as far as factors go, I think device is far superior to password. Um, first of all, there's a, one difference is something you know versus something you have. But again, because you have to authenticate to the device, you're also doing either something you know also, which is a pin or a pass, or an additional thing that you have, which is biometric. Um, <clears throat> doesn't matter how you look at it, though. I think it's just superior. It's just so much better. Ideally, all your accounts would be in this sort of uh, configuration because then someone, somebody couldn't compromise one account, find a password, uh, and then go to all your other accounts online and try that password there, uh, which unfortunately work on far too many people. Um, Microsoft is now telling you if your account is being targeted by government authorities. So I think, I think they'll let you know if <clears throat> governments have asked to get into your account and they were forced to give them up. I'm not super sure on the, the details, but it sounds like that's what it is, which is just moving towards more transparency around, uh, you know, when someone is able to compromise the security of your account officially, you know, air quote officially, then they, uh, they're going to let you know, which I think is cool. And I imagine that most of the industry is going to do that um, before too long. <clears throat> So Tor announced that it's doing a bug bounty. Uh, it looks like it's going to be an internal one. I don't think it's going to be uh, Bug Crowd or Hacker One or any of those. But uh, I, I didn't see those details in the story anyway. So it looks like it will be internal. Steam had a DOS attack that revealed 34,000 user details. Um, <clears throat> this was just the headline. I'm confused about how a denial of service leads to account disclosure. Um, but what I heard was that uh, when the rollout happened, there was just a big mess and you could actually just rotate through user IDs and land in someone else's account. Not clear on how that is tied to or related to the denial of service, but there were accounts disclosed. Um, Linode has been suffering a massive DDoS on its data centers, um, basically hitting uh, Dallas, then it hit Atlanta, uh, and basically melted all the servers there. Um, you weren't able to get to anything. My site's actually on Linode, uh, based out of Atlanta, <clears throat> and uh, it got melted for like two or three days. And then uh, just even today, uh, the DNS infrastructure was being hit. So like you couldn't even go to like uh, Linode's webpage or the manager system. It was, it was all down due to DNS. Um, but the status page says they've uh, been working on it and hopefully getting it updated uh, with better defenses like Prolexic or whatever they're using. And uh, hopefully it'll get better at it. It's, it's the first time I've sort of had my confidence with Linode shaken. Uh, sucked a lot. Um, someone did analysis of North Korea's operating system, and they found a bunch of files that could allow North Korea to spy on whoever's using the OS. Um, 
I don't have a category for obvious, but it seems like if you're going to find spy files, that would be a great place to look for it. Um, I think the other one would be like the Red OS or whatever it was for the uh, the Chinese Linux distro. Uh, seems like a pretty good place to look there as well. All right, so that's it for the news. Um, this next section, which I'm hopefully going to try and use this format for um, going forward, we'll see how it works. Next section I call Ideas, Updates, and Discussion. So the first one is just plain raw news. And this area is like cool ideas that I've heard, great blog posts, whatever. And it's sort of more exploring an idea um, that's security related. So three things you should do every January. Uh, this is a blog post I just put up, <clears throat> basically saying that New Year's resolutions are kind of dumb because uh, they, they're not really usually effective because the things that people try to make resolutions about are things like, I want to lose weight or I want to stop drinking or whatever. Um, the, problem, the reason you know that that's not going to work is because anyone who's capable of doing those things, they just do it whenever the idea comes to them and they make the decision and then they execute. If you are the type of person who cannot do that, then it will not be effective on January 1st to say, okay, now I'm gonna do it, right? So that's why I don't like resolutions. They're just kind of empty and, and dumb, in my opinion. Um, but I do like the idea of in the first week of January, let's make sure you're doing a few things. <clears throat> and this is more like, like a calendar reminder type thing of certain things you need to do every year. So the first one is make sure your family, your household, or your personal data is being backed up really well. It's number one, backups. Um, I like a good combination of local and uh, cloud-based backups, but uh, that's the bottom line. Make sure your pictures, all your, you know, your kids' photos, all that kind of stuff that you care about, got to have it backed up. Next one is reach out to the people who you care about and love. Um, pick 10 people, put them on a list, and reach out to them. Send them an email, send them a text, whatever. And say, hey, you know, just want to remind you that you're really awesome. You know, I really appreciate what you did for me in the past. You know, I really enjoy hanging out with you. Whatever it is, just be nice. Reach out. Let somebody know <clears throat> that you care about them. And <clears throat> like pick 10 people, right? And rotate through those people. And this is one of those things you should be doing it way more than once a year. But while other people are pretending to lose weight, this is a great thing to do instead because you can actually just execute it you know, in 30 seconds or two minutes or five minutes or however long you want to spend on each one. But it produces value far and above pretending you're going to change by losing weight, right? Um, and again, I'm not against actually committing to lose weight. It's just you should do it when it comes to mind. Third one uh, that you should do in the beginning of the year is make sure you have a bug out bag. Um, this is also called an oh shit bag sometimes. Uh, I think they're roughly the same. But the idea is to have a 72 hour survival kit. 
for if basically if public services fail, let, let's assume you have no running water, you have no electricity. Um, let's say you're forced to get in the car and drive, right? And you've got to have this stuff in your trunk. And you're worried about, you know, common things, just not having clean water. You're worried about not knowing what's going on in the world. Um, to some degree, I guess you're a little bit worried about, are people going to come take your stuff? Are people going to try and hurt you? Whatever. But that's going in a sort of a another area of the conversation. But one thing that this is not is it's not some crazy prepper thing where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to dig into the earth and have 20 million rounds of ammunition and I'm preparing for when the government tries to take my guns. Like, we're not having that conversation. This is an earthquake hurricane, uh, whatever, tornado conversation that basically says, I'm okay for a, a few days for my whole family or however many people I'm worried about um, until services come back online, right? And if we're talking about nuclear holocaust or whatever, zombies, whatever major incident uh, could happen, we're not preparing for that. It's, it's crazy to even think about it because if, if the world goes to crap for weeks or months at a time, like things are going to be a lot worse than what you can put in your trunk and prep for. So the idea here is get yourself through a few days. Don't spend that much money on it, but have a little bit of peace of mind. It's a really good thing to do every year to make sure you have it. So those are the three, um, data backups, reaching out to people you care about and having a bug out bag. And those are the three I recommend for the first week of January every year while everyone else is talking about how they're going to lose 50 pounds. All right. Um, web scanner series, burp versus NetSparker. So one thing that's been cool about leaving HP is I, I have more freedom to talk about other scanners and other web security technologies. Um, you know, so I just put a post up, Burp versus NetSparker, um, scanned a site that um, is pretty representative of a lot of sites online, and uh, scanned it with default settings, mostly default settings, using Burp and using NetSparker, and uh, posted the results. Uh, really interesting. It's on the site. You can go check it out. Assuming uh, line notes not still being melted. All right. Next one. When you're interviewing, make sure to make it clear that you're the asset too, not just them. This is just a piece of advice I just wanted to pass on. Um, talk to a lot of people who are doing interviews and they're just freaking out. They're like, oh, I hope they like me. I hope they like me. And the thing you got to realize about this is you got to have some confidence in yourself. You have to remember who you are, what you're bringing to the table. And you want to come into the interview and sort of have a little bit of an attitude of, you know, well, this sounds great. You know, happy to answer any questions. You know, what do you guys do at the company? How do you guys interact with each other? How do, you know, fellow uh, employees talk to each other? Um, how do they... How do they exchange information? Like this kind of stuff, right? And you, you don't want to be a dick about it. You don't want to be like, well, yeah, I'm special. And, you know, 
you guys really need to try and get me, not the other way around. Well, now you're just an asshole and they don't want to hire assholes. Um, so you don't want to have an attitude about it, but you, you want to make it clear that you have options and you're exploring them as much as they should be exploring you, right? And again, you don't want to be explicit about this. You don't want to be rude. You don't want to be an asshole, but don't come into it in like this completely, you know, submissive position um, because it just denotes weakness. Um, and I think people are more likely to pass on you if, if you just appear like a, uh, an average person who's desperate for any job. And that's not the impression you want to be leaving. All right. Um, failing at the basics in intelligence and infosec. So this is a post I put out a couple weeks back. Um, based on a, a blog post by um, The Grug, which is a, a badass uh, OSINT, um, intel, I would say intelligence in general guy um, on Twitter. And uh, he put out this thing basically saying that the Paris attacks and like all these different terrorist attacks we've seen just had like these massive errors in how intelligence was was handled leading up to it. So like the, the Paris attackers, for example, they they were talking about everything wide in the open on Facebook. They're texting each other without encryption. They're, they're not using uh, keywords or, um, you know, code words for any of this stuff. They're just like, Hey, yeah, let's pick up the bombs and I'll meet you there at the corner of so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and, um, you know, glory be to God, and like, you know, I hope I hope we defeat our 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 uh, enemy, and it just very clear language that if you were looking, you would find it, right? And I'm not going to get into whether people should have been looking or if they should be looking at Facebook or whatever, but what I will say is that if you have all this data available using tools that we've already had. It's not time to go and pursue all these new tools, right? You, you haven't earned the right to ask for breaking open encryption if you can't look at stuff that's in clear text. It's insane. So I, the post that I did basically compared this to the InfoSec world where you basically have all these companies who aren't doing asset management. They don't know what what applications are in use on their network. They don't have any less of the websites that they own. Um, they, they don't have vulnerability management. They can't even give you a list of what's patched and what's not. They've got systems that haven't been patched in a year, or year and a half or six months. Um, <clears throat> and they go to RSA and they're like, yeah, I need APT protection. I need advanced code execution protection. No, you don't. You need an Excel spreadsheet of all the shit that you own. That's what you need, right? So you have these governments trying to get encryption penetration legislation, which is a dumb way to say that, but they're, they're trying to pass laws so they can penetrate encryption when all the shit they need to be looking at, or most of it, is happening in clear text. Then you've got all these 
massive corporations trying to go after APT and all these super advanced producty, you know, silver bullety type stuff, and they don't know where their assets are. They can't. They can't tell you. Um, they're not even controlling outbound access from their network, right? No egress traffic control. So, bottom line here is focus on basics first. That's that's what gets you the right to ask for more advanced things. <clears throat> is if you're doing the right things with the fundamentals. So that's what the post was about. You could check it out on the site. Um, why Trump is winning. All right. Um, so this is not a political podcast. Uh, I do talk about podcasts or uh, about politics a lot uh, on the site, but that's not what this is about. But I'm going to talk about this one anyway, just because it's <clears throat> it's pretty nonpartisan. It's uh, more of like pattern recognition. It's somewhat security related. So I want to talk about it real quick. So. If, if you've ever wondered why Trump is winning, whether you like him or not, doesn't matter. Um, I, I write here that I just watched my first Republican debate as opposed to hearing what it was about. Now I understand what's going on with Trump. It's quite simple. He's a billionaire with the biggest ego, the clearest language that expresses three things repeatedly. Strength, which is the belief that he can get it done. Nostalgia which is a vision of returning to our greatness and going beyond and newness, which is a belief that it can and will be different with him. Strength, nostalgia, newness, right? And if you look at the other candidates, which again, I'm not going to go into, but you know, Jeb is lacking strength. Cruz is not as strong as Trump. He's also an insider. Rubio isn't strong. Too much of an insider. Carson is a newcomer, but he doesn't project strength and he's not selling a vision. So bottom line, people don't want to think. They want to believe, right? Um, you don't get people to believe with arguments and details and plans. You get them to believe with strength and vision. That's what Trump is doing. That's why he's ahead in the race. Um so again, this is not meant to promote Trump or, or to bash him or anything. I, I, I don't think any of that should be on this podcast. Um, what I am saying is when you see this happening <clears throat> and people ask why he's ahead, this is why. Strength, nostalgia, newness. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, sensitive data sent in URL over HTTPS. This is a post I just did recently. Um, and uh, people have asked a number of times in email and other places, uh, you know, what is the danger of sending sensitive data in the URL if it's HTTPS? I'll pull up the post real quick. So the, the big thing is like, well, if it's over HTTPS, why do we care, right? Um, so so, so here, here are the basics. It's true that everything in HTTP request is encrypted, including the URL if you're using HTTPS, okay? So that, that's, that's true. 
And that's why a lot of people are saying it doesn't matter what you put in there. Um, here's the reason it's still a bad practice. Three reasons. URLs are often logged by the server side. And who knows where those logs are going to end up. That's number one. Number two, URLs are often sent as refer headers, which means those can be sent off-site. Um, they can be sent all over the place. Um, so that's, that's another reason. That's data leakage, potentially. The other thing is browsers, which the client side, also log and store URLs. <clears throat> and those logs could be parsed by whatever, could be viewed by whoever, um, and maybe copied elsewhere. So it's not a matter of just encryption and transit. Uh, URLs are special um, to, to the web te uh, technologies and web stacks. Um, it's, URLs are important. They're critical. They're a pivotal piece of the whole tech uh, stack. And they get logged. They matter, right? They get logged on the client side. They get logged on the server side. So what happens in between whether it's clear text or not, it's important, but it's not all that matters. So your user data, sensitive tokens, uh, you know, name, address, date of birth, SSN, national ID. I've seen all of these put inside of uh, get requests, um, you know, query uh, strings in the URL. And uh, it's just bad practice. It's just completely bad practice. Another reason is that you can have something that's HTTPS and then it could fail and become HTTP just by an implementation error. And now suddenly this app, which is poorly coded, but defended because of HTTPS to some degree, um, in transit at least, now is not. And now it's not only having all three of those other problems, but now it's going over unencrypted because of config error. Either way, it just shouldn't be in the URL anyway. So those are three reasons uh, not to do it, even if it is HTTPS. Um, all right, next one. Difference between correlation and causation. Uh, this is a post I did about a week ago or so. Um, this one's very simple. The idea is that a lot of people talk about, oh, that's correlation, that's not causation. And a lot of people who don't think about this stuff a lot or, or don't read about it, they're, they're a little bit confused about what each of these mean. So they're not two separate things, correlation and causation. It's not like uh, it, this is an epistemo, uh, epistemological problem, which, which basically means it has to do with how much information we have about what we're talking about, okay? So let's say we're looking at uh, disease causes or something like that. And it's just a massive amount of data, like, you know, thousands of variables, and we're looking at, you know, hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people. And we're trying to say, you know, when this goes up, this also goes up. This is a thing we notice because we're capturing, uh, we did a study, for example, um, we have, there's tons of data there, or there, there's tons of potential data there, but we haven't gathered that much data. We just did a study that looked at a few different things, and we noticed some correlations. That means that when this thing went up, 
this other thing also went up. People say, well, that's not necessarily causation. Well, that's true. But here's what's important to think about. Every, um, everything is caused, okay? Every single thing is caused. There's no such thing as correlations in reality, okay? If you had all of the data, there wouldn't be correlations um, necessarily. Correlation is what you have when you don't have the data. It's what you notice in the absence of knowledge, right? So if you are outside of the covers and you're noticing whatever, a knee poke up on this side and an elbow poke up on this side and you're just looking at the covers, you're like, well, I with, I, I saw the face turn to the left and then I saw this thing poke up. So maybe that was the knee going up and maybe the person was turning over and that's why their face rotated, right? Or you could just take the covers off and say, well, yeah, the person rolled over and that's why their knee turned and that's why their face turned. So if you had the data, if you had the knowledge, you wouldn't need correlation. Correlation is what you do when you're just ignorant because there's not enough data. So think about everything as having a cause and there are these causal streams that make things happen. And you simply need to gather data to find out what those causal streams are. So a, a lot of people, and here, here's where it gets important, a lot of people see an actual causal stream because they have enough data. And then someone will jump in on the internets, um, probably, you know, whatever, in some dumb forum, and they're just like, man, ah, that's causation. Or that's, uh, that's correlation, not causation. And you just really need to know the difference, right? And it's not easy. Let me just say this. It's not easy to know when you have one versus the other, but you should know that there is a difference between one and the other, right? And you need to be cautious about people claiming that it is a causation when when it's only correlation, but you also need to be cautious of people just loving to say this word or this phrase of, correlation not causation because they make they think it makes them sound cool or smart or whatever when they don't actually know what what the hell is going on all right enough on that um paul graham's refragmentation post this is a fascinating post you, you should check it out it's a little bit long but you know paul graham he uh did the um y combinator thing He's just an overall smart guy about trends and uh, economics, technology, startups. That's his main thing. But um, he wrote a post called Refragmentation, which basically argues that things like income inequality and uh, other sorts of fragmentation, where basically things are separating from each other, um, should be expected behavior. And that the only reason we had income equality for some period and other types of equality for some period was because of very strong, um, I think it's pedal, centripetal forces, which 
pulls internally, uh, pulls towards the center. So you have the war, which I think is the biggest one, World War II, which basically pulled everyone towards the center um, in terms of incomes and education and all sorts of things. Um, and then you have the uh, centrifugal forces. I think I have those right. could be opposite. Um, which are the spinning forces, which are the ones that are, are forcing these things to fly outward or fragment or fall apart. And he's arguing that those forces are constant and they are the ones who are going to win unless you have something sort of artificially injecting the opposite. And he says that those are going away and the natural forces are just going to take over. And that's why we're going to see massive fragmentation. The other thing he mentioned, which I thought was really cool, um, I've heard it before, but it was worth noting again, uh, is that technology is a lever. So if you have a small amount of force that is causing fragmentation, like a little bit better education, a little bit smarter, a little bit more advantaged or whatever, <clears throat> and you add a lever of technology, now that small advantage becomes a massive advantage. So that by itself, technology by itself, vastly separates um, those that have and those that don't have uh, on the world scale as well as at the national scale. So really, really interesting post. Definitely recommend you check it out. Next one is a post that I did called The Relationship Between Relaxation, Fun, and Performance, uh, or Genius. And this was basically an idea, came from a number of different things I've been working on over the years. Uh, table tennis, um, doing presentations, uh, public speaking. Um, there's so many things that this applies to, but the, the basic idea was um, I went to my first basketball game to see the... Uh, the uh, Golden State Warriors, which is a local Bay Area uh, basketball team, uh, basically to see them uh, play for the first time. And what I heard was, because they got this player, uh, Stephen, Stephen, uh, Stephen Curry or whatever, I think it's P-H-E-N, but supposedly the best player out there right now uh, by a long shot. And um, he's a small guy, he's like 6'3". And he's just crushing people. And uh, the team is just doing really well together. And when they were asked, like, what do you think makes you better than everyone else? And they basically said, look, we have a lot of fun. We like each other um, on and off the court. You know, we hang out together off court. And we genuinely just love this game. We play the game. We have fun doing it. And that sort of gelled something for me. Um, like I, I have issues in table tennis where I come back after a long uh, sort of delay, you know, several months or whatever, I come back and I just play really well for the first day or so, day or two. Um, and I was trying to figure out why do I play so well then? And then quickly it goes bad. And I had a theory that it was like, well, it's because I was doing things correctly and then I learned or I remembered all my bad habits later. But the other one that happens is I, I start getting really mad after one day or two days. 
start getting really mad that I'm not playing better. And I start, you know, cussing at myself and I'm just being foul, right? Uh, because I want to be performing better and I'm not for a number of reasons. But the bottom line is I stop having fun. I'm no longer having fun. I am failing. And I'm trying to get better. And these are, you know, viciously, you know, fighting against each other. Um, another one is like, uh, which I actually still have to add to the post, is comedy. It's really hard to be funny if you are stressed out. Like, I can't imagine. I imagine big comics have, have done this. You've got to go out there and pretend to be relaxed or whatever. But just think about yourself trying to be funny if you are super worried. It, it, you're going to come off like just uncomfortable and awkward and it's not going to be cool. Um, think about um, being young and trying to talk, talk to the opposite sex. Right? You go up, you try to say something relaxed. They know you're not relaxed. Now you look like a dumbass. It's not going to work. You go up there, you don't care for whatever reason. You already have a girlfriend, you already have a boyfriend, and you're just talking. Now it goes well. Presentations, right? If you go up there and you're super stressed and you're sweating through your clothes and shaking and mumbling and all this kind of stuff, not going to go well. So, Basically boiled down uh, all of this into one central idea that training should happen, okay, right? You should train and focus on learning and all that sort of stuff. And when you go to perform, you, and this is just a theory, obviously, I'm not an expert on this, but when you go to perform, I almost feel like you should basically uh, return to the core of why you're doing this thing. If you have a presentation, focus on loving this content and focus on your enthusiasm for sharing this content. Do not think about execution. Do not think about this, you know, minor tip of where you should stand and how you should hold your hands or whatever. Like if you're so advanced that you can stay calm and you could stay enthusiastic and still think about those things, then, then absolutely go for it. But that should be part of your training and it should hopefully transfer into your execution. And if it doesn't, then you should just train more. You should practice more, right? And make it so that it does come into your execution. But don't mess with your enthusiasm. Do not mess with your execution being natural. If you do, you're going to go from a let's say you're not very well trained at presentation, you're like a 75 out of 100. You're just not that good at it. But you go out and you execute, you know, you're super calm, you're happy, you're excited, and you go out there and give your presentation. And you get a full 75. And everyone's like, man, that was a really great presentation. Like, eh, you know, he said, um, too much, whatever. He moved too much. The slides had too much content on it, whatever. But it was still awesome. And he, got, he was a 75. Well, a lot of people have content that's an 85 or a 90. They have ideas that are an 85 or a 90, but they they stress about everything and they go out there and they mess up the thing because they're so scared and they execute out of 40, right? They had 90 content, they executed out of 40 because they weren't relaxed. 
okay, sports, talking to girls, um, being a comedian, uh, whatever it is, if you are not relaxed, you will not execute at your best. That's the bottom line. All right, next one. Michael Coates makes the argument that false negatives are way better than false positives because false positives create unnecessary work for his team. This is a fascinating idea. So basically, he was talking about security tools. And he's like, look, if your security tool produces false positives, I can't use it, right? I've got too much work to do. I have too many vulnerabilities. I, I don't have time to mess around with stuff that is not real. I want a security tool that only shows me things that are guaranteed to be bad because that's how I task my team. That's how I you know, assign work. Um, now, if, you, if your tool produces false negatives or fails to produce good positives, however you want to phrase that, but if you produce false negatives, so what? That means I'll find another tool to find that, right? I, I can fill false negatives in with other technologies and other techniques and other processes, um, but I cannot fix false positives without human work. So um, that was a really interesting perspective. Um, I, I wonder if a unified theory might say something like, the more overburdened your team is, the more you want to avoid false positives. And the fewer vulnerabilities you have and the more time you have, the more you want to avoid false negatives. Um, not sure if that's correct, but it's the first thing that comes to mind. <clears throat> um, all right. Next one. Brainstorm questions, not solutions. So there's this cool uh, presentation from some guys at Stanford. Actually, it was the, the creators of Instagram. And they're talking about how the first inclination when you hear a problem is to just take the problem at face value and then start working on questions or start working on answers and solutions. But oftentimes the problem is not defined correctly. The question is not defined correctly. And um, people go start producing solutions and you can get weeks or months into solutions before you realize that wasn't a great thing to be working on. So they recommend that the first step in problem solving is having a whole session on, are we asking the right question? So you do brainstorming, you ask additional questions that are tangential or you know, orthogonal or not even related to the, uh, the question that was originally asked. You basically come up with all these different questions. You find the most interesting, the most powerful, the most inspiring and you know, thought-provoking questions Put those down, then you pick from those, then you move on to solutions. I thought it was a really cool concept. All right, so that's it for ideas, updates, and discussion. Now moving on to the next section, which is tools and projects. So in this section, I'm basically going to talk about cool projects, cool tools that I've come across uh, since the last uh, podcast and uh, sort of pass them on, talk about why they're cool or whatever. Um, most will be very short, but a couple will add some content too. So Bluto, 
is uh, all capitals is basically a really cool uh, content discovery tool for um, it's like a, something you do before an assessment. Um, it does like uh, DNS brute forcing. It does who is lookups. It looks up LinkedIn content. It does all kinds of stuff just based on feeding a domain. A really cool tool. Um, I've been on a on massive uh, OSINT sort of kick over the last uh, few weeks. So um, that's why this came across. Um, Serpico, something uh, Jason Haddock's uh, pinged me about. Uh, he's like, man, have you seen this thing? It's so awesome. Uh, and it is pretty awesome. Like you could basically create custom re reports using Burp. So a big problem, you know, for people doing working for themselves or they're doing side work or whatever, um, is you know the, you don't have a uh, an enterprise tool that can produce your report for you, right? So that, that's a big deal. And um, what this tool does is it allows you to create, you know, not not quite enterprise level, but really decent reports right from Burp, from uh, Nmap, Nessus. Um, I forget all the tools that it, that it um, supports, but it's basically a number of tools that, uh, that are used by security people and they can all fold right into the single report. So you can basically just do an auto report generation, have it to the customer without doing a bunch of work inside of Word. Um, so really cool tool. Firmware extraction from Craig Smith. So Craig Smith, a uh, guy I used to work with, friend of mine, who um, is still at HP, um, he did a post, um, actually a, uh, a video of a tutorial of how to extract firmware uh, using a number of tools. Really cool, recommend you check it out. Um, it's uh, craigsmith.net is the website. Um, Definitely worth having a look at. Um, I did a post recently on vulnerability database resources. So I went and found like all the different vulnerability databases and put them into a single post. You can check that out on the site. Really cool for, you know, just combing through and finding vulns on various products that you use or whatever. Um, next one is the IoT Attack Services Project, uh, which has been updated updated recently is now part of the OWASP IoT overall project. Um, you should definitely check that out. Um, next one, uh, Robots Disallowed project. This is a, a GitHub project of mine and it basically has all the updated robots.txt disallowed entries and I've sorted them for the entire Alexa um, 100,000 top websites and I've sorted them by like top 10, top 100, top 1,000, top 10,000 and I even made a special one called interesting, interesting Directories and it's got like the best ones from the entire list with a grep search of things like admin, password, backup, source, things like that so you have really high fidelity on hits for that list. And it's called the Robots Disallowed Project. Um, you should definitely check it out. Next one is a website. It's called nowhere.net. The O might be a zero. 
I'm not sure, but um, you can also look for it by Cyberpunk. So this is run by the guy who runs the um, Black Hat Arsenal uh, um, project, um, an event at Black Hat. And um, really smart guy. He's actually running also the uh, SCADA project for us over there, um, <clears throat> the OWASP IoT project. And uh, this website is really cool. It's got great formatting and everything. And it's basically, he highlights tools or projects, um, kind of like the ones that are mentioned in this section. And he gives like ratings of like how useful they are, um, how many people like the project, how many people shared the project, um, and gives stats about it along with like an overview of what it does. Uh, really, really cool. Um, definitely recommend you add it to your, your RSS feed. So that's nowhere.net or cyberpunk. Uh, next one is eyewitness. This is another OSINT research tool. Um, or actually, no, yeah, it is OSINT research, but this one specifically takes a screenshot of, uh, websites that you point it to. So basically imagine that you're doing discovery or something, you cover like a list of ranges um, and then when you hit the website, it'll take a screenshot of it. So if you're telling like a customer, for example, hey, I found a website and you show them what it looks like, they're more likely to be like, oh yeah, now I know what that is versus just a port number. Um, REST Security Cheat Sheet. This is a really cool it's a OWASP project. You should definitely check that out. Census, C-E-N-S-Y-S dot I-O. This is a Shodan competitor. Um, definitely worth taking a look at. Next one is GitHub Dorks. Uh, you've heard of Google Dorks that allow you to find things uh, sensitive using Google. Um, Google GitHub Dorks is the same thing, but you pass it GitHub repositories. And it can find things like private keys, you know, sensitive information stored in source code, stuff like that. Really cool. Um, Insta Recon is another OSINT um, tool. Really cool. Does DNS lookups, who is, Shodan, Google Dorks, um, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, TwoFactorAuth.org is a website that basically keeps a list of um, common uh, websites and tells you the type of two-factor support, if any, that that site has. So it tells you if they have physical tokens, you know, software tokens, you know, one-time passwords, you know, authy support, or I'm not sure if they have like authy support, but it's like five or six different columns that um, it has for the type of two-factor auth that a given site supports. Um, and it's kept updated as well, so it's pretty cool. Um, announcements. Uh, I will be speaking at OWASP Cali at the end of January. Um, currently working on an ICS SCADA primer, uh, which I'm hoping to release uh, before too long. And I've got a few miscellaneous things, which are kind of like follow-ups. So that last section was announcements. This section is miscellaneous. Um, so one thing I want to mention is a need to check out this blog by this guy named Benedict Evans. Um, 
he, I think he's one of the Y Combinator analysts. He does some really sick analysis on like trends, like mobile trends, IoT, you know, startups, really, really sick stuff. You definitely want to subscribe to his stuff. Um, oh, I've been listening to this uh, podcast, the Serial podcast. It's basically like real life crime stuff, but it's one part of the story each week. Um, it's very similar. It's by the NPR people, um, This American Life people. Um, it's also very similar to this show on Netflix called Making of a Murderer. Um, really cool. Also, true stories like crime stuff. I'm not really into the crime stuff, but this is really artfully done. A really high quality stuff. Definitely recommend you check it out. Serial, the podcast, and Making of a Murderer on Netflix. Um recommended uh, Twitter account that you check out is uh, CISSP Googling. Um, <laughs> so this uh, account basically tweets out like what a, a CISSP, this is kind of making fun of CISSPs, um, what they might be Googling for. So one of my favorites was how did Anonymous get their account on every single FTP server? Um, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. But um, CSSP Googling recommended Twitter account. Um, Sam Altman uh, wrote this thing called the Startup Playbook. He is another startup analyst guy. Really, really cool blog. Really need to check it out. Um, Sam Altman. Um, and finally, if you know any Army veterans who are looking, who are basically getting out of the Army, I am ex-Army myself, and... Um, I've had a number of people reach out to me and say, you know, I got a friend, he's getting out of the army. Do you know any resources or whatever? Well, I'm a resource. If someone is getting out of the army, they're thinking about going in InfoSec, um, point them in my direction. I will shoot them over my uh, InfoSec career guide and I will help them step through it. Um, you know, interact with them via email, whatever and basically recommend what they should be doing uh, to help them get a job in InfoSec. And uh, until I fall over from having too many people uh, doing it, right now I have a few already, but I'm happy to take more until I, in, until I can't do it anymore. Um, so if you know anybody, point them in my direction, and I will help them out. So that's it for this episode, and uh, hope to see you soon. Take care.